Yep, that's what I'm doing. Great. Okay. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, if, this is, this, I'm going to try real hard not to just have my finger in your chest the whole entire time, but it's going to feel like it. So just hang in there. But I'm going to establish the reason why I think this is important and uh, why this has been helpful for me and the stuff that I've been learning um, as the perfect example of a man. It was a joke. Um, I have uh, three young children and two girls and a boy, and our son, Boston, is seven months old. Go ahead and show his cute face. Right? I know. He, he's, this is basically like he laughs, has a good time, he sleeps. He's the best. Um, I, uh, I like to joke that I was really upset when they shaved his beard at the hospital before we got to take a picture. Um, he's pretty much the man. But... Uh, Seriously, as, as I'm like, thinking about how to raise this young boy to become a man, what, what should I say? Like, what, what do I actually tell him? In our society, we have many terrible examples of what it means to be a man. Ad infinitum. Where are the good role models? Who, who do we point to? And even more pressing, rather than just even like, be kind of like that guy, what are the principles that I can aim my son towards that can help to shape my heart. Our culture has no idea what manhood means, of what it means to be a man. And I think this is often just as true in the church. I read a famous female anthropologist this week, because I do that a lot. It was quoted in a book. Um, she said the central problem of every society is to define appropriate roles for the men. I don't know if that's the central one as a Christian per se, but I think that the point be made, our society has done a poor job of that, especially recently. And I don't have time to detail patriarchy and feminism and this need for reform and how it's, over, you know, it's done this and that's good, but this is a problem. I don't, don't have time to get into all that, unfortunately, and there's plenty of that online, and a lot of it's good and helpful. But for the sake of time, I'm going to fast forward to this. Most men don't know what it means to be a man. And we tend to be comfortable enough or afraid enough in not knowing and we don't know where to go so we don't do anything about it. <laughs> Dads are the best. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 it says, uh, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. According to, Saint, to the Apostle Paul and therefore God, there's something, that's supposed to mean something. By God's grace, I'm not going to figure out what all of it means, right? Clearly, I, I, there's no way to make this a perfect message, and we're not going to get to all of it. There's going to be things I say that do not apply to you. There's going to be things that completely miss, and there's going to be ways for you to take this completely out of context and be like, I didn't like when he said, totally. Will you give me grace as I will try to point to Scripture from the bad example of Adam and the, the wonderful, perfect example of Christ, and then spend some time with some practical implications for us? Because there is a way that God says that we're supposed to act. When I was a youth pastor at Hume Lake about eight years ago, I was with my kids, and uh, the speaker got up and said, here are four ways. These are the four points that you need to know to be a man. And I was like, oh, this is going to be crazy. And, and they were incredible. And they were challenging, and they were life-giving, and they were freeing. Um, and, I, and I've genuinely been trying to apply them to myself ever since in my marriage in my career, in my life, they pop up sometimes every day in a single week. Like that's, I think they're profound and I think they're biblical and I think they're useful. I talked to Chad about these within the last year 
and I kind of bring him up at staff meeting every once in a while because this just has resonated for me over and over. And, and Chad applied them in his own life. And he's like, this is actually, and he, we kind of circled back when I said I was going to preach on this. He's like, this has actually been really helpful for me. Cool. So as much as there's going to be some like, we need to do this, men, uh, you know, bacon, when it was going to be some of that, <laughs> um, I, I think these things are worth consideration. As I call them manly expectations, four things that I believe all men are called to. And I'm just going to give them to you. You're going to see them a lot. If you don't memorize them by the time this is done, that's on you. They're going to be up here all day. Number one, reject passivity. And we're going to explain them and unpack them what it does and doesn't mean. Reject passivity. Number two, accept responsibility. Number three, lead courageously. And number four, seek the greater good. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, seek the greater good. Quickly, are only men called to these things? Of course not. I used this to train a group of managers at Pete's Coffee seven years ago. Most of them are women. These are broadly applicable things. Anyone in any role of responsibility or leadership, these will help you. However, this is Father's Day. And so we're going to aim right on you guys. And for the sake of ease of communication, I'm going to keep saying, men, let's do this. Men, this is for us. I'm not speaking exclusively men, but primarily. Good enough? We're all on the same page? If you're really mad already, then you should just go. But um, just hang in with me. I think these are super helpful, and they've changed my life, and I hope they're useful. And again, yeah, I don't even get to it. Whatever. Let's just pray, and we'll talk about the Bible and Jesus, and it'll be great. So let me pray. Father, I need you. Uh, thank you for Jesus, the second Adam, who not only undid so much that Adam did or didn't do and, and the, the pain that was brought into the world because of the failures of our ancient forefather, but you redeemed us. Jesus, you are not only our, our, our example, you are our example, but you're also our savior and our redeemer. So this morning, by the power of your grace, help us to be honest, to look in the mirror and say, yes, I do that, and, and no, I, I don't do that. And help us to be encouraged and challenged to live for you if these things are helpful. Holy Spirit, please do your work. I trust you to do that. Forgive whatever I do or don't say and make it right. Teach us, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. We're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 together. It's not in your bulletin, uh, but it will be up on the screens. Look on your phone or whatever. This is how Adam did not do these four things. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. He didn't say that, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Wait, what? It, wait, hold on. Adam, Adam was standing right there the whole time. There's this dialogue with Eve and the serpent, and you're like, man, this is, this is huge. This is cosmic. Stuff is happening right now. And Adam is just like, <laughs> Right? Number one, reject passivity. This is the definition of passivity. It took six verses for us to even find out he was there. That's how passive he was. He couldn't have been more passive if he was asleep. Like he's standing here 
And his wife is talking to a talking serpent. Hello, something's happening here about the commands of God. And what does he do? That's it. Furthermore, in Genesis chapter 2, God commanded the man, do not eat. It says that. God looked at Adam and says, do not eat that. And he just says this. Open your mouth. Do something. Reject passivity. Adam did not. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They started to hide their sin. This is the second point. Reject passivity, accept responsibility. They did not do that. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Quick tip, if you ever think, hide, here comes God, this is classic male behavior, you're on the wrong, you're on the wrong path there, okay? Oh no, God's coming. Yeah, he's everywhere. He knows they're hiding from God. This is the opposite of leading courageously. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously. And I know I'm kind of joking, and it, it is ridiculous and funny, but it's also tragic, and unfortunately, it can be typical. Here comes God. Let's run and hide. If I don't pray about it, God won't really know the stuff that goes on in my mind. Come on. This is not lead courageously. This is cower foolishly. Reject passivity, accept responsibility. I told you you're going to get this in your head before you leave. You're not going to be able to get it. It's awesome. Be good for you. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Ah, this is so frustrating. And the man said, the woman... You gave me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Seek the greater good. Seek the greater good means here, do what's right. Recognize that your decisions and your actions cannot just be self-interested. Do something bigger than yourself. Seek the greater good. Hey, Adam, in Genesis 3, how about honor God? How about protect your wife? How about get your, ha- your head out of the clouds and consider that sin will now enter the world for all of eternity based on your inaction? I know we're being harsh on Adam, but the reality is I'm being harsh because I do this. I hide. I can be passive, and it, it, it's, it leads to death, right? A Yale sociologist said, men have a natural tendency to avoid social responsibility natural tendency. And he's right. It's in Genesis 3. It is so easy if our hearts are not redeemed, if we're not renewed constantly and going to the table and walking with Christ to just back up. Twelve short verses, Adam, our ancient father, our ancient forefather gives us a master class on what not to do. Could there be another example in the Bible of someone who shows us the opposite? Jesus? I love it when the right answer in Sunday school is Jesus. It is today. Jesus is the great answer. We see more, and I read this this week, it's awesome. We see more manhood in the baby in the manger of Jesus than we do with Adam's entire time in the garden. 
He rejected his divine right as king of the universe. He initiated the greatest rescue operation of all time, and he set out to save mankind when he became an infant child. Jesus in the manger rejects passivity. I want to go through quickly again these four things and say, how did Jesus do this? And I'm going to give three quick examples, and we're going to fly through it. And if you're not familiar, just look them up, because I think they're helpful and they're awesome. How did Jesus reject passivity? First of all, the incarnation. Just talked about it. He showed up. We needed help, and he, he went and he did it. Second of all, John 8 and the woman caught in, in adultery. He didn't just stand back and be like, oh, yeah, you're right. She's pretty bad. Let's stone her. He stepped up in the gap. He stood up for this woman. He condemned these, these men who had the sin of their own, and then he also corrected her and said, go and sin no more. He rejected. He did not be passive. He did not shrink. And then there's that whole dying on the cross thing, which we'll talk about later. He rejected passivity. And quickly, one might be tempted to think that dying on the cross for us was passive. There's a passive obedience, passive righteousness, theological terms we throw around. But if you think about it, his death on the cross was the most tremendous display of restraint and willpower and commitment to hang in there and take the punishment for all of our sins from mere, from mere mortals who are doing it them that he created. That was not passive. Jesus rejected passivity on our behalf. Second of all, how did he lead us courageously? Think about his time. Um, sorry, how did he, I skipped ahead. Thank you. Slides are correct. How did he accept responsibility? Think about feeding the people. Numerous times he's doing miracles, feeding the 4,000, feeding the 5,000, going beyond himself to provide. Second of all, remember the donkey before the triumphal entry? Like there's a lot going on in Jesus' plate at that time. You ever feel like that? I got a lot going on. I can't really help. And he sends the disciples and said, go get this, this colt that's never been ridden and ask these people and, and they're going to provide it and it's going to come over. And like in the midst of this chaos of his life called the Passion Week, he prepares a donkey. Like that's how responsible this guy is. It's next level. I love it. And then, of course, he died on the cross for us. He the responsibility for all of our sins. Third, how does he lead us courageously? Think about his temptation in the desert. 40 days without food and then Satan begins to offer him the world to just bow your knee. I consider bowing my knee to Satan if I offered like a, new, a nice steak on a Thursday. You know what I mean? Like if it, it doesn't take much for us to just really give in to temptation. And at, at the extremes, he led courageously and defied Satan with scripture and said no. In his radical teachings, thinks about all the things he said. He turned the world upside down, Sermon on the Mount, all of his parables over and over and over to the point that men before that that were considered godly led the effort to kill him. He was so threatening. His teachings, he led courageously. He led courageously on the cross when he died for us. And then finally, how does Jesus seek the greater good? Throughout Luke um, he's, and, and other gospels as well, he is constantly elevating the lesser thans. Sinners, the poor, the sick, in that society, women and children, traitors, foreigners, etc. Et he is constantly extending an arm, identifying with, throwing and, and dignifying people that that culture said are not dignified and don't deserve it. Aliens. Children. Sound familiar in our current day? Jesus sought the greater good, not just his own concern. The prayer in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. He sought the greater good. And again, it led to his death and resurrection to save the world. Adam and Jesus Christ represent two completely different accounts of how to live life. In Genesis 3, Adam represents running from and separation from God and the initiation of failure. 
And Jesus represents life in unison with God, redemption and servant leadership. And so it's easy to say, well, let's just be like Jesus. Let's, how do we, you know, just be like Jesus, not like Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, the first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam, the second Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. So on to our four steps. It's a quick course. We flew through it. Yes, Adam, complete, Adam failed in this. Jesus stepped up and did it. What does that mean for us? How do these four things help us? These four things have helped me, and I think they can help us make a, a difference. How do we do it? I think we do it in order of the four steps. So let's put the four back up there. When we are in situations that we are uncomfortable as people, as men, and we're tempted to look away and do nothing, there's a word for this. And we don't want to step up to our responsibility. It's abdication. And it comes from when a royal person renounces the throne. They abdicate the throne. It's, our, it's, it's to fail to fulfill or even undertake responsibility. We are all given levels of responsibility in our lanes, in our life. Dads, men, we definitely have that. We tend to want to abdicate, to just go, that's, that's not my problem. When it's five in the morning this morning and I have to preach and I got to bed really late and I hear my son crying and I know my wife's exhausted... I don't want to get out of bed, <laughs> right? The baby's crying, I don't want to get out of bed. And you start saying things like, well, I did it last time. I'm preaching. It's Father's Day. <laughs> right? <laughs> what did I read? A buddy wrote online, it's not new, but like, father, father, or being a father does not mean having children, it means raising them. Reject passivity. When we're tempted to abdicate, to say, that's, I have every reason to roll over. I didn't hear him crying. Why didn't you get him? You were closer. I could preach a whole sermon on that, like that, that one experience. <laughs> to myself, I need that. Real manhood begins with the decision to reject social and spiritual passivity when nothing is more comfortable and there's, there, it is definitely the natural option to do so. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, seek the greater good. So what does it look like to reject passivity? Um, I want to walk through these four things um, again, hopefully somewhat quickly, and just throw. It could look like anything for you. For me, it looks like half of my life. Um, here's some of the things it means. It means writing anonymous criticisms. We don't get them a lot here. We've gotten a couple. I used to uh, go to a college, and there would be things that, people need to do more of this, and then no name. And you're like, thanks, guy. Thanks for your concern. Now we can't follow up. And I don't even know if I can trust you or believe you. Who are you? Read it, tear it up, throw it away. It's anonymous criticism. It's disappearing. It's not saying anything when we should. It's being passive-aggressive. It's mocking others as a way to get what you want. It's, it's hiding. That is passivity. How do you reject it? Rejecting passivity is when you pull into the grocery store, and there's that, gro that shopping cart where you're like, why is that in my parking spot? Ah, and you get mad. And, it, and then you, you just walk. Rejecting passivity is saying, I'll, t I'll take this shopping cart. I'm walking towards the store anyways. That's rejecting passivity. Take the shopping cart and do something about it. Rejecting passivity is initiating uncomfortable conversations when you might not come out like the hero. It's not turning over when the baby's crying. It's responding to that voice inside, a voice inside that says, they, they could use help. 
in college, I was, I was dating a girl and really wanted her to be, to be so impressed with me. And Christian college is an intense time in our lives. And she really wanted something spiritual from me in our relationship. She wanted me to say, how, how are your quiet times? Let's pray together. Let's do this thing. And I was so afraid that if I talked about spiritual things, it would expose my own lack, my own inability, how weak I was in that area. I could say at that time, we'll just say in that area of the spiritual things, disciplines and such. I never brought it up. Guess how that relationship ended? For many different reasons, thankfully, I'm so glad it didn't work out. My wife's way better. Praise Jesus. But as a point, and that's all true, as a point... I was passive. I knew what she wanted from me. And I was afraid it wouldn't make me look good. So I didn't bring it up. Chad and I were talking about there's times in marriage, not in our marriages, in all marriages, in any relationship for that matter, when someone just needs to kind of let you have it, whether you deserve it or not. And there's times you need to just be quiet and take it on the chin mm-hmm. and actively listen, not respond, not put up a shield, not be like, no, but no, you don't understand. They should be like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes choosing silence is rejecting passivity, right? That's rejecting passivity. There's a thousand other opportunities for all of us every day, believe me. What does it look like to accept responsibility? Um, In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 is this incredible prayer. The first eight chapters of Daniel, Daniel's pretty stellar, right? Like he's got the lions and he's praying and he's leading the Daniel plan vegetarian cookbook lifestyle website. And he's doing all these incredible things and Daniel is awesome. And then Daniel 9 comes up and there's this, this idea that God, it's pointing out that God has rejected the nation of Israel. He is judging this nation. They're in exile And Daniel steps up and begins to pray on behalf of the nation. And he doesn't say, these people don't trust you, God, and they're idolatrous. And they, he doesn't say that. He says, we have sinned. We have sinned and done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We have not listened to your prophets. To us belongs open shame, O God. The righteous man, the responsible man, takes responsibility for the the actions even of, of others. I'm an unabashed Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Last year, they lost game seven of the World Series on my birthday and got destroyed, and we watched it at Life Group, and I just was like this the whole time. It was really horrible. Terrible game. Hated it. They came back this season. Lots of hope. We had 104 wins last year. That's a lot. This season's going to be awesome, and a fourth of the way, a quarter of the way into the season, they're eight games under 500. They're doing horrible, and there's these rumors, like, are they going to cut this guy? Are they going to get this guy? Are they going to fire the coach? And they asked the president of operations, Andrew Friedman, is, your, is the head coach's job safe? And he said, look, I'm the president. I'm the head. I made all of these roster decisions. I hired all these coaches. And the subtext is these guys need to hit the ball. <laughs> they need to pitch better. They need to play better defense. They need, you know, sports. So if you're into it, you're into it. If you're not, you're not. And what did he say? What was his answer? He said, this is on me. I'm the head of the operation. It's on me. Of course not. We're, of course we're not evaluating the coach's job. My fault. Accepting responsibility. I met with a guy named Noah a few weeks ago. He's 21. He works at Chick-fil-A. And he told me about this story. We were just talking about stuff. This story, something that happened to him. And he said he was closing up for the night. And he had he only done it a few times and hadn't been trained real well. But 
this area he had to clean with all this stuff that you can kind of move, but he just kind of cleaned to what he could get access to and was like, I, I guess it's all right. And this girl was walking by and she's like, oh, is that how you're going to do it? And kind of rolled her eyes and kept walking. So from, from, according to Noah. Um, and, and, and naturally, what's your reaction? Like, yeah, that's how I'm going to do it. Like, leave me, it's Chick-fil-A, who cares, right? <laughs> Fill in, insert the name of your work, whatever it is. <laughs> that's how I'm going to do it. Get, what's your attitude for? And he thought about it. Instead, he, he walked up to her and he said, hey, um, apparently I'm not doing this right. Will you show me how to do it right? Like, what would you do? I was like, What? Dude, you're 21, you did that? And she came over and she said, you move this and you move this and you clean from out behind it every night. That's, that's how we do it. And he said, wow, thank you. Accepting responsibility. I was like, Noah, that's incredible. I wouldn't have done that. I mean, like, <laughs> Accepting responsibility. What does it look like to lead courageously? Have you ever had that thought? I should help that person. I should do... It's responding to that voice. It's, it's doing, right? Leading courageously is taking action in situations when you're tempted to abdicate. Maybe you're in a fight with someone. Maybe you've done something to wrong somebody. Leading courageously, courageously takes you from, I'm sorry, to, you're right, I'm sorry, to, you're right, I did that, I'm, I'm so sorry. Not that you're going to say this all in one fight. That would be a bad fight, but it could happen. It's, you're right, I did that again, and I can see how much I hurt you, and I don't want to hurt you anymore. Will you help me figure out how to stop? Not in a weird, codependent, manipulative way, in a true way. When not just saying, okay, yeah, 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 I'm sorry, let's get over it, let's move on. But you say, wow, I, I really hurt you. There's times when I've done this. <laughs> There's plenty of times when I've not. And I'm like, I don't think I did that, and I didn't intend it, so I don't know why you're bringing it up again. No, leading courageously means kind of exposing that underbelly and saying, Will you, will you explain to me exactly how that made you feel? Because I don't want to do it again. And what does seeking the greater good look like? Seeking the greater good means that our actions glorify God rather than ourselves. It means we look for others' benefit and not just our own. It means we, we seek the, the, the betterment of our work and our family and our friends and people we don't know and our church. We live for something greater. Like Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility of mind, consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to, to the interests of others. Seeking the greater good means that our decisions are often aimed at long-term rewards, the pleasure of our Heavenly Father, rewards in heaven, the value of integrity, caring about your name, doing the hard thing, rather than short-term gratification cutting corners, telling small lies that don't hurt anyone, doing what comes easy but isn't best. Seek the greater good. But the floor up again. Is it practical enough? Kind of down on that, like, is it starting to, to work for you? If you pray and ask God, God, show me when I'm passive and I'm not accepting responsibility. You want to start with just the first two. That's great. It's a great place to start. I'm telling you, you will begin to hear this voice and you have the opportunity to begin to respond to that voice. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, seek the greater good. I believe manhood is intended by God to be liberating and rewarding, and I think that these are actually liberating and rewarding. Because on like a daily ethical level, it helps me know what to do. What am, what am I supposed to do? What, what could I have done? Okay, and I'll rehearse it. Okay, reject, okay, don't, don't do nothing. 
Okay, accept, what would it look like for me to accept, appropriately accept responsibility? And again, these must be done in humble reliance upon the spirit and will usually lead you to serve others and the people around you. These are never meant to help you gain leverage, to gain power, or to dominate. If you misconstrue this to do that, <laughs> we have a problem, my friends. These are certainly not to prove yourself as a perfect man. These are not to say, I'm always awesome and I never mess up. No, these are just indicators that help us see how can I do, be more like Jesus than Adam? How can I make a difference in my family? How can I make a difference in this world? Imperfectly, for sure. All right, two quick things and we're done, I promise. I want to do a real quick, like, finger in the chest that might hurt a little bit because I felt like I was supposed to do this. And then we're going to talk about Jesus and the gospel, and it's going to be okay. So just bear with me. First of all, if, if, you, if anything I've talked about or not said has kind of, like, been, oh, uh, I hope he doesn't say this. Or I hope my wife doesn't remind me about the thing that I do that isn't this. Um, can I just say graciously and humbly, because I do that stuff all the time, Stop it. Don't be Adam. Stop. If you have that nudge of, oh, I think I might need to do this, you do. And I say that because I feel like God told me to say that in the most Presbyterian, reformed way possible. <laughs> Repent. Stop hiding. Jesus knows your thoughts. It's not me, it's Jesus. He's poking you and saying, this matters. And, sec and because the second thing is the reason you had that thought is that Jesus wants you to take it to the cross, take it to communion and saying, God, I want to hide. I love hiding. I'm Adam. Please help. Take that thing, whatever it is, to the cross, and then I would challenge you to talk to someone about it. Maybe your wife, maybe a friend, maybe whoever. Maybe your husband, and it's not just for men. I did it this week. There's a couple things I'm like not wanting to deal with in my life. And I scheduled, scheduled a lunch on Tuesday, talking to my buddy about it, because I need to. Not so I could just say it, because I was like, mm, Lord, if I'm going to say this, I got to do it. And because these four actually matter in my life. They really do. He's going to get an earful about me. <laughs> it's not fun, but it's life over death. And guys, this is the gospel about it. This is the part I want to make sure we end on. And if you didn't hear it already, I'm sorry. We all do this. We all abdicate. It's our tendency. It's, it's, it's what we were raised in. It's how we were born into. And the only one who didn't and the only one who, will, who has done this perfectly and will do it perfectly is Jesus. But praise God that because of these things, because this is who he is, he bore the penalty for our sin. So that when we mess up over and over and over, when we forget and when we like slide back into this and when we're so afraid of letting someone into the mess that's inside, he's not afraid of it. He's not ashamed of you. He's not angry with you. He loves you. You are his sons and daughters, and he has saved you for a purpose. And he did not save you to be perfect. He saved you so that you can learn from stuff like this and so that you can grow and say, Jesus, I really need help, and I don't even want to admit it. And he says, I know I'm with you. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Yes, you are the son and daughter of Adam, but more than that, you are the son and daughter of the king, as Chad said. He rose again that we might be forgiven, that we might have life. He did not save us that we would never fail again. He saved us to, 
to life, to hope, to glory. And so that when we feel that like poke from the Holy Spirit, by his grace, we can say, Jesus, help. And he'll go, I did, and I'm still helping. As Tim Keller overquoted, but so good, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. On the foundation of that love and acceptance, I dare you to consider these four things. To give it a shot. And see if you don't feel God kind of poking you. This is a moment for you to step up and be more like Christ than Adam. It will change. It will change you. And it will change the circles you run in. I promise. Because it changes me. Let me pray. God, um, thanks for Jesus. I need this. Thank you that you brought this in my life eight years ago and that I've learned from it and I want to learn from it more. Um, Thanks for hope. Thanks for grace. Help us to walk the line of seeing what you call us to. We certainly can't all be perfect like you, but we want to make a difference, Father, in our homes and in our work, in our neighborhoods, in this city. And sometimes that just means we need to begin by taking responsibility. Deliver us, Lord. It's so easy to shrink in these moments. It's easy to shrink away every day. Help us fight a little. In reliance upon you and for the sake of your name, grow us that we might be men and women who reflect your goodness and offer hope to this city. We love you and we need you and we pray in your name. Amen.